0: Good morning. My name is Spencer Bross, lead pastor here at St. Stephen's, and it is a blessing to be here with you today as we gather together in worship. As we do gather on this Trinity Sunday, we hear a text, the first time in Jesus's ministry, uh, where we hear the, the Trinity invoked, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he's invoking the Trinity, not just out of pride or to name names or to name drop, but to give authority to the message that he's about to share with his disciples, give authority to their commission in ministry. So we turn to Matthew's gospel. It's the end of Matthew's gospel. Matthew 28, and we read, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. A number of years ago, a little over a decade ago, we gathered at my wife Lori's grandparents' 70th wedding anniversary. Isn't that something? And they made it to 72 before Grandma Louise passed away. And we gathered for this big celebration, uh, kids, grandkids, even a couple of greats. Maybe more than a couple of greats in there at that point. No, not yet, not yet. But anyway, we were all gathered there and we had gone to the church, their church is Fellowship Hall and ate, and laughed and and did all the things and then we lined up for a picture the whole family was lining up for a picture and we just we knew it was going to take a while for everybody to assemble because you know those are never easy it's not easy with four people much less however many 20 people were there or whatever at the time so grandma louise and granddaddy bill were just standing off to the side and and as they watched the family assemble for the photo We overheard them saying to each other, look what we did. Isn't that something? Look what we did. They were looking at part of their legacy, a living legacy that they enjoyed immensely in their lifetimes. Granddaddy Bill was in his 90s still getting on the floor with his grandbabies, and great grandbabies. As a part of the life of the church, we too are called to be a part of a legacy, a living legacy, that is larger than our personal achievements and even our families, or our successes, or anything we leave behind. A legacy that is wrapped up in this mission, this commission, we call it, of Jesus to all of his disciples. He's laying out a legacy an idea of something that goes on beyond what they were in that moment that would continue to grow and expand. Those 11 had no idea how long, how far, how wide, but it continues to this day. Those 11 plus the other, there were other, we know that there were other disciples, but those were 11 that were named. You know, there's not 12 right now because Judas and they haven't replaced him yet. But they hear this message of Jesus, who is laying out a legacy for them to pursue, and not just for Jesus, but for the kingdom of God, which Jesus' first words in ministry were, the kingdom of God is at hand, to continue that message and continue that ministry and to deepen that legacy. That word legacy has been... um, popping up a lot in my mind as we've been thinking about this church's 60th anniversary as it's coming up, but also as, as people have been going through different rooms, cleaning up and straightening up and pondering um, what's to come, but also remembering what's happened with the Project Renew, and the word legacy keeps coming up. What was the legacy? Can, I, can you imagine the folks who started this church, can they think of what legacy they were starting? Some 60 years ago now, but when we begin a legacy, we don't always know that we're starting something. But every once in a while, we have the opportunity to know that we are. We're in that. We're in a. We're a part of something that is enduring. We're a part of something that is greater than ourselves. We're a part of something worth leaving behind and leaving to others. And that's the church. That's us as followers of Jesus. That's what those first disciples were receiving, the seeds of a legacy to come. And those seeds have grown and we are heirs and recipients of it. Let's just start, uh, let's take a look at today's text, just considering what happens here. At the end of, end of Matthew's gospel, This is after the resurrection, after some appearances and some teachings and some different things that have gone on. This is after um, uh, doubting Thomas and all of those things and making sure that they knew that he was alive and was still with them. After he had forgiven Peter three times for denying him after his arrest. It's after all of that. He calls them to that mountain. They worshiped and some doubted. I love that phrase. It's one of those phrases that reminds me how real this text is. If you wanted to form a movement based on a lie, you would leave no room for doubt you would have said the disciples came to the mountain excited and full of worship and ready for whatever Jesus had to share with them. No, they came and worshiped and some doubted. How real is that? But it didn't stop Jesus from giving them their instructions. First, he claimed the authority with which he was giving these Uh, instructions, this final command to his people, go, he says, well, for his, his authority, let's do that. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Just in case you've missed this, just in case the whole idea of I was dead on the third day, I came out of the grave and you've seen some pretty incredible, amazing, awesome things and you saw some pretty awesome things before all of that happened, let me just say again, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He's laying the stage. He's like, look, I know some of you have doubts about what's coming up, about what I'm asking you to do. Trust me. All authority has been given to me. And his commission begins with the word go. Go. Not stay right here, not rest in place, not build a, build a circle or, or a little tent city like Peter wanted to do when P, uh, Jesus and, uh, saw the prophet and Moses, Ezekiel and Moses up on that mountain, Elijah and, and Moses rather. Don't do that. Go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Disciples of all nations, baptized in the name of the Trinity. This is a mission that was beyond the borders of Israel, beyond the ethnicity of their people, to the ends of the earth. Luke and Acts give us this ends of the earth thing even stages, Jerusalem, Samaria, Judea, to the ends of the earth, an expanding ripple in a pond. that would expand for two millennia and continuing to. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Bapti- baptism isn't an event to, re- to know that has happened to us, but an identity of who we are in Jesus Christ. It's a, it's a renewing, it's a cleansing, it's a death to old ways and a new life rebirth to new. There's the, I was going to use a big theological word, but I'm going to pare it down a little bit. The Holy Spirit is planted within us to help nurture us and grow us in faith. All that happens at baptism and more. It's more than a ritual. It's more than getting our heads wet. It's the Holy Spirit with us and God marking us as his own, sending us on a mission. Our baptism is our part in receiving the commission, the great commission of Jesus himself. And don't just baptize them, but teach them all the things, to obey all the things I've commanded you. And it's two, and they're not small. Love God with everything that you are, and love your neighbor as yourself. Those are big, but pretty clear. Love God and love others. And that's Jesus's chosen legacy given to his disciples. To build a worldwide network of followers who are being reconciled to God, who are transforming the world as a result of being reconnected to the divine. And again, it's a legacy that is not hindered by geography or culture, ethnicity, or social barriers uniting us all under the banner of Christ's love. And then one last gift, a parting gift, as it were. Jesus says, and I will be with you always to the end of the age. Jesus gives us commission with the authority of heaven, but also the assurance of his presence. I don't leave you alone to do this work, I come with you. We partner together in this great mission, commission to make disciples, transforming the world. John Wesley is one of the founders of Methodism, you may know that. But if not, he was. Uh, he became the front person for this denomination that we now call Methodists, it was a word that was used as a derogatory word on them because they seemed to have this method for Christianity, those Methodists. And he said, all right, cool, fine, I'll take it. He and his brother Charles believed deeply in the Great Commission to the extent that they were convinced to take the gospel to the colonies so there, they go to Georgia, the colony of Georgia. It was mostly a penal colony. He had been given authority to, uh, to tend for the spiritual nature, to the spirituality of the lives of the co- colonists, but he also wanted to convert the natives. That was part of his drive. And he took all of his education, which was incredible. All of his enthusiasm, all of his will, and he failed miserably, horribly. Reaching out to the natives never happened. He was abrasive towards the colonists. He had this very high church persona, which these colonists, again, penal colony, even if it was on the backside of that time, they were not really open to that. that didn't really touch them in their lives. And then he was smitten with one of the young ladies of the colony who married another man. So he denied them communion. He had to flee for his life, or at least for his well-being, to go back to England. He failed horribly at this task, this great commission that he had received upon his ordination to go and make disciples, he didn't do so hot. He came back home discouraged, disappointed. Along the way, he met some folks, some Moravians, and they helped him to claim a a more simple approach to being a follower of Christ, or at least a more clear one. John was wrapped up in, in earning his salvation through works. I've got to do. That was part of the methodistness of it. I've got to do these things in order to be worthy for my, of my salvation. And, and Peter Bowler, the Moravian, helped lead him into this simple faith that is all we need. And then our works come out of the faith that we have. And then that that conversation or series of conversations, as well as Martin Luther's commentary on the Book of, of Romans, as John was reading it, and this is this is this is, a, this is almost a holy day in United Methodism, May 24, 1738, when John Wesley's heart was strangely warmed. This disappointing and discouraged Anglican priest was revived and renewed in his faith and his pursuit of making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we are heirs of that legacy of his, even now. A movement of faith that has continued for over 200 years. Well over 200 years. And this call isn't just for church leaders or church staff or pastors or priests or missionaries or theologian. This is a task for all disciples to live into, to help others come to know Jesus and to grow in faith. I found this um, list of who reaches who. How are people influenced to receive Christ or attend church? And he gives percentages based upon who those people are and how they influence others. At the top of the list, which is actually the least amount of influence outside the church, is those who initiated by the pastor or church staff. Zero to 3% of people are influenced to either attend church or receive Christ by pastor or church staff. And I'm just going. None, none of these get into double digits. That I'm going to go through first: visiting, um, small group activities, church programs, um, benevolent efforts, or special needs, uninvited visit. Although that's that's toward the top of this list, but anyway, special services. There was a day when big tent revivals. Remember those? Those days are gone, long gone. But this is the one that stands out: friends, relatives, associates. Seventy-five to ninety percent of folks who are who either are, uh, come to church for the first time or uh, influenced to receive Jesus as a part of lives. Seventy-five to ninety percent of the work uh, of, of, of that comes from friends, relatives, associates, neighbors. I would include in that. The senior first senior pastor I worked with said the greatest evangelism campaign ever developed was come and go with me. It's not a program, it's an idea. It's inviting somebody to come and go with you. One of the hardest things for a person to do is to walk through church doors for the first time into a new place with all these unknown expectations or assumptions of what they'll meet. But if they come and go with you, that removes those. And... On top of that, if it's come and go with me to church, then let's go to lunch or brunch afterwards. And then after a while, maybe you come back around, and that they've been coming again, you, you invite them to Sunday school and then, and then lunch afterwards. It's not all food related, but it helps. And you continue inviting them deeper and deeper into the ministry of the church. Come and go with me. Is one way we continue the legacy of building disciples as followers of Jesus Christ ourselves. Sharing them with them your your faith and your church, sharing them with them your Savior. And that collective pursuit, that individual pursuit is also reflected in the collective and how we participate in the life of the church as a whole. What we invest into the institution itself helps us to fulfill the mission that's before us, whether it's an investment of time, resources, abilities, all of it impacts the legacy we leave, a living legacy that continues to build upon itself into the future. And St. Stephen's has been making disciples of Jesus Christ for almost 60 years now. As Pastor Minu said later this year, we'll we'll celebrate this anniversary together. When that first sermon was preached in September of 1963, it was the beginning of another level of an ever-expanding network of God's people building up other followers of Jesus. And while <clears throat> I did point at the sermon, there was, the records show there were 60 folks there. It wasn't just the pastor planting those seeds, but those first 60 folks and others who would come behind them. They picked up the, the global legacy of disciple making and made it here. I think of churches as missional outposts. Each church is intended to be a missional outpost to its community in the surrounding area. And we continue upon that legacy, that missional outpost here on Braddock Road. A legacy developed by building relationships and spiritual growth, and living out the love of Jesus in the community. And at the heart of the mission is the community. The community that we build here that reaches out to the community that is out there. It's those connections. It's those relationships that are always at the heart of ministry, of mission, of making disciples. And as we develop the community from within and develop the spirituality, the spiritual growth, the the, the understanding of our faith and gathering for worship, we grow spiritually as well and also deepen those connections with one another because we're on a similar journey. None of us are on the same journey, but we're all on a similar one. And Then as we grow, grow in the bonds of relationships and grow in our faith and we continue expanding the circle outward, modeling Christ's love out in the community. And this church has a great and wonderful history of doing that. And I encourage us all to consider how we continue to deepen those things, the bonds within the church, the growth, spiritual, uh, disciple-making spiritual growth within us, each of us, in modeling Christ's love beyond the beyond the walls, beyond our immediate congregation, out into the community, and ultimately out into the world. This commission isn't simple. It's direct. It's only two lines. But it's not simple. But the beauty of it is those parting words, that parting gift of Jesus you're not alone doing it. We're not alone doing this. I'm with you always to the end of the age. I'm with you forever. in this even when we have doubts, even when we're uncomfortable, even when things don't seem to be going the way that we want them to or the way that we had planned them to go. But being persistent and pursuing that mission together. Trusting God, even when we don't see where 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 our next step is going to be. Or maybe not the next step, but the step after that. But just taking, indeed, the next step towards pursuing the Great Commission, towards living faithfully into the legacy that Christ has given all of us and continue to build upon that as individual followers, collectively as St. Stephen's, as part of the um, United Methodist Church, as part of the Universal Church that enduring legacy of making disciples of Jesus Christ, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them all of Jesus' commands, remembering that he is with us always to the end of the age. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the gift of your presence with us. Whether we're pursuing your mission or merely going through our routines of the day, you never leave us or forsake us. But Lord, help us to lean in to your call on each follower to help to make others In, which, in the ways in which you have gifted each of us, and collectively all of us, that we might be faithful in pursuing this legacy, this living legacy, that continues to build upon itself and continues to glorify God's kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.